HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey everyone, you're listening to Item 13, a bi-weekly podcast covering everything African food, and I'm your host, Yom Tego. Every other week, we'll delve into the world of African food, chefs, curators, and bloggers. I hope you enjoy it. This week, I speak to Najiz Benkavu, a Moroccan chef, food blogger, and cookbook author. Najiz was raised in Brussels, where she grew up in a strongly food-oriented family that continually nurtured her connection with her roots and country of origin. After living in Brussels and Paris, Najiz moved to London to pursue her education in politics, only to realize that her love for cooking and food was a real passion. After training at Leeds School of Food and Wine, she started blogging and sharing her Moroccan recipes with a twist. Her work currently involves recipe and menu development, cooking classes, working as a guest chef, and hosting supper clubs. While she has a strong grasp of traditional Moroccan cuisine, her ultimate goal is to inspire and bring a breath of fresh air to Moroccan food. Here's our conversation. Welcome to Item 30, Najis. It's exciting to have you on. I haven't had, well, I should I take that back. I've had a, a Sudanese now so far, and so it's good to have a second North African representation on the show. Thank you for having me. This is going to be great, I think, because I, I um, love everything Morocco. I feel like Morocco is trending these days, so it'll be good to hear <laughs> more about yeah. the food and sort of how you got into it. Um so let's start about talking about Najis. Like, who are you? Uh, what's your background? Tell us, you know, who mm. you are. Yeah. Um, so, well, both my parents are Moroccan. They're from Morocco. Um, my dad immigrated to um, Belgium uh, when he was um, a teenager and met my mom. So I was born in Belgium. Um, oh. And, uh, you know, my parents were very attached to to their Moroccan roots, so they really um, raised us in a very Moroccan um, environment, I mean, culturally. So they kind of used food to keep us connected to our roots, so we you know, we ate Moroccan food at least once a day, whether it would be, there would always be something Moroccan, um, although we grew up in, in Belgium, where, you know, it's a very Western country, and there's lots of great things, like, like fries and 
obviously. Um, but there was a lot of Moroccan influence. Um, and I think um, they gave me this nostalgia somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, I, after um, you know, I went to university, I started working, but I always had this dream in the back of my head that I would love to to focus on Moroccan food and, and, and you know, do food because I loved food and eating yeah. and cooking, <laughs> but also, um, also to promote my country uh, in a certain way and, and give a different perspective right. um, and, and, and modernize the food somehow because I had all these different influences in me. I grew up in, in Belgium, spent a lot of time in Morocco. Um, I lived in Paris and London. And I traveled a lot, obviously. Um, so I had so many influences, but I, I wanted to to integrate that in the way I, I see food and, and Moroccan food and kind of remove this old-fashioned way of, of, of uh, plating the food. And, <laughs> yeah. And introduce- so, right. yes, basically that's how I decided to start my blog. I just I, decided, I, I noticed that there were no place online that focused on Moroccan food in a modern way. So that's what I did. <laughs> yeah, so no, that's amazing. And it's... I always, it's always interesting to hear when people, you know, the first generation, second generation um, Africans, you know, whether they're living in Europe or, or in, yeah. in the States or Canada, you know, how food is always sort of the way that they're connected back to their home roots. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. Yes. And so in thinking about, you know, growing up in Brussels, Belgium, um, was it easy for them then to find Moroccan um, ingredients, right? Because they're making Moroccan food, you said, every day. Was it easy to yeah. find? Yeah, well, I mean, back then, um, uh, it, was not, it wasn't hard because there's such a huge Moroccan community in Belgium. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a very, very big com- community. So um, Moroccan ingredients were very, um, very easily accessible. But I think nowadays, with globalization, um, you can find ingredients to make Moroccan food pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Um, first of all, we, we, we don't use a lot of strange, you know, <laughs> ingredients. <laughs> yeah. Most of the ingredients are accessible in most supermarkets, and it's more things maybe like spices that are mm-hmm. different. And nowadays, you find them very easily in London, um, like in you know, cities like London, so then you you made the decision to move to London, but to not to not to cook per se. You started by pursuing a master's in policy. Like, what was that yeah. decision? Why did you decide to do? Um, so before that, I um I studied politics and I studied, I did a master in in politics and sociology, uh, and uh, and yeah, and I mean I just I did academia and I just thought it was the right thing to do. You know, mm-hmm. also. And I'm sure, you know, all African Middle Eastern families, the right thing to do is go to university, have a degree, <laughs> yeah. probably not work in the kitchen, right? Yeah. So for me, I was just doing the right thing and, and going to university and uh, doing something very intellectual. Right. So I just continued on my path and I was very passionate about um, social development. So I did a master in public policy here in London and I specialized on women's rights in the Middle East and all the changes that um, um, are happening or could potentially happen in Islamic law. Okay. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I really, I really enjoyed it. It was very interesting. Um, then I start, started working, and and I just didn't really 
I was not very happy in my corporate job. Mm-hmm. Um, and also not doing something, you know, I was dreaming that would change the world and, and, right. and, yeah. and work on the field and things like that. And it's just, it was, it was not what I had envisioned. <laughs> so, and also I think, and also the corporate world was a bit of a, yeah, a very big downside for me. I didn't like staying in an office. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I met my husband, and, and he was very encouraging, um, uh, uh, you know, encouraging me to go to cooking school. So that's what I did. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about that then. So, you know, you worked in policy for a little bit, and, and then, uh, like, a lot of it feels like that also. I don't want to call it a trend, but I just think that the generation now, the, the world has just opened so many possibilities that you know maybe yeah. our parents and grandparents didn't have and so it's not so much that you know we are lazy entitled people i just think that we we just have you know a whole world of opportunities and you're always trying to figure out you know what is yeah. my heart's true calling versus yeah. this is the thing i have to do that's my duty you know yeah definitely i think there's also um i think our generation would definitely seeking fulfillment more right. than just paycheck Exactly. Yeah. That way it can be confusing sometimes for us because <laughs> we want to be fulfilled, but we also want to have a lot of money in our bank account. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's <exactly>. always work. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I definitely didn't feel very fulfilled in my in my corporate job. So, um, um, I just had that doing something where I use my senses, such as cooking, um. Would definitely be more interesting and right. fun. <laughs> right. So then, let's talk about that. So, did you did you start your blog before you went to cooking school, or was it the other way around? And what was like? What was the decision to go to a formal cooking school, and what was what was it like? Um. Well, so when I when I realized that I didn't want to work and have like a proper office job, I I thought about a lot of different things that I could do, and. The first one that came to mind was doing something with Moroccan food and cooking. But at the same time, I realized that I was, you know, I was, I think, 27 by, back then. And it was like I was a mother who had cooked 25 years for her children and her family and had, like, big, solid Moroccan cooking experience. So I thought, I need some credibility. How can I get this credibility? And also, I felt like maybe I could learn a few things, although my you know, I've always liked cooking, especially since I, I, I left my parents' place. Um, that's what kind of forced me to start cooking my own food. Uh, and um, so I was not, I was a confident cook, but I felt that it would be, I would benefit from that. So that's why I went to cooking school. And it was definitely very useful because I learned so much and I gained even more, more confidence. And cooking school was in London, right? Or in Paris? Like, where did you... Yes, yeah, it was in London. Um, I went to Leith, a school of food and wine. So what was the what was the structure like? So for people that are... Because I, I know a lot of people, you know, African food businesses in particular, that dabble in, like, you know, their own either food blogs or their home cooks and they want to take it to the next level. What, um, yeah. if you think about, like, practically speaking, what sort, what did you get from, like, being in school that you didn't know from, like, intuitively cooking your own food? Like, what sort of lesson was it business skills-wise, plating? Um, what sort I, would, of I think I would say the discipline that you need to have in the kitchen. Okay. Because um, simple things, like, you don't really... If you want to know what's going on in the pan, you just need to look at it and, and <laughs> yeah. you sense it. 
Um, it's just as simple as that, right? But but when you don't just you know calm down and think, okay, is this cooked? Is this not cooked? What is this? What why is this happening? What did it burn? When you try to understand what's going on, you have all the answers. Um, and it's something very simple, but it was it became very obvious to me when I went to cooking school. And and just the discipline that when you want to if you do a dinner party for X or you need to cook for fifty people, you need to incorporate um, this discipline in what you're going to do, um, and and do a lot of planning before that. Um, mm. And it's something that helped me avoid mistakes in the kitchen and save time. Yeah. Um, so that's what I learned. Then you know there was also like a few techniques that I was not familiar with, obviously. Um, but I think there's a million techniques that I'm not familiar with anyway. <laughs> uh, that I will never be familiar with. Yeah. But I think it's, it's the practice. This, yeah, I would say that. Um, but things like plating, I have to say, I, I became comfortable with it just by doing it for my blog every day after day after day to see get better at it. Um, um, but it was definitely useful um, for me. Also, just how you develop a recipe is also something. From adjusting ingredients and and just some logic, knowing that you need to add a bit of acidity and sweetness, um, just being logical when it comes to food. <laughs> yeah, no, I th- I think that that's great, and I think um, you know if anyone that's listening, I think that that sort of discipline, especially as you start to cook for more people than just your family, that um, making sure that you know what you cook is also you know even though you're staying true to what you're cooking, that it's still appealing to to a wider audience. So I think that that's all helpful. And you talked about blogging while you went to school. So did you start the blog while in school? Because I I follow your Instagram page and your blog also beautiful beautiful pictures i don't know if you also took photography <laughs> lessons or like how uh, that all came yeah. together i uh, thank you <laughs> no i didn't take any photography um lessons i uh just learned um you know i read a lot of blogs about food photography and and a lot of bloggers said what you have to do is look yourself and practice and practice and practice so um so that's what i did and, and that's how i got better eventually because um, that's how you develop your own style. Well, I think it's um, it's good to you know be to inspire yourself from different photographers or bloggers that you like. But every time you 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 develop your own styles, that's what matters. And and yeah, so I right after when I finished cooking school, I was um, I had a lot of different ideas of things I wanted to do, and and I could have chose the classic route and start working in the kitchen. Um, but I thought that I could definitely do something about more can cook king online because it did not exist um so it was a bit risky obviously but i thought if i invest myself my time in that I'm very dedicated um hopefully i will be able to make a difference so thankfully that's what if, that's what happens so that's interesting it's like- a fourth year yeah, no, I was going to say that's interesting because like you said, it's not a traditional um, way to go. Like you go to c- cooking school and most people will end up in, in a kitchen, right? So you decided to go, is it, yeah. be- I mean, one, obviously, because you have that expertise in Moroccan food, um, but did you also think about potentially working in a uh, Moroccan kitchen or that just wasn't an option? Um, I wasn't sure. I mean, the thing is, I was in London, so okay. there were no Moroccan restaurants for me. I definitely considered in like in, um, in restaurants. Um, 
but very quickly I started having opportunities to um, to work um, as a consultant and do events and um, and yeah so I, somehow I was lucky I didn't have to do that there's obviously a learning curve for everything so the first event was was very stressful for me because <laughs> it was the first and and I hadn't done that before and I was by myself so but you know with time and practice things get better right <laughs> so what, what was that how did you if you can you talk through how you got that first opportunity right so you've come out of school and you're thinking about doing your first who approached you and then sort of how did you um so the first company that approached me was um um so company that makes baby food okay. and they wanted okay. to, to create yeah, the name is uh, for Aisha, and they, they're quite um, um, uh, massive in, in the UK, and I think in other countries too. And uh, they were launching the brand, and they wanted to extend the the range of, of products they had, and they wanted to have something that was more that, like dishes that were exotic. So I developed recipes for them. So I remember it was my first. Um, it was the first time I was approached and I was like, oh, wow. And I think I had done that for a few months back then. And uh, and it was the first opportunity I had. No, that sounds good. And I think, and since then, you've, you know, you've hosted supper clubs. I've seen uh, cooking classes and, and you continue to do recipe and menu development, right? Yes, I continue to do that. Okay. So, I mean, I think uh, let's take a short break now. And then when we come back, we'll um, we'll talk a little bit more specifically about Moroccan cuisine and your cookbook. So for those who are listening that are not familiar with Moroccan cuisine, we'll give them sort of a crash course on, you know, the different types of cuisine from the different parts of Morocco, um, the work that you do, and then the cookbook that you do. I don't think it's just now because it's been about more, about a year now, right? that your book since your book it's almost a year in May it will be a year yeah 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 okay so it will be a year in in the UK yeah sorry but but yeah we'll (laughs) talk about okay all right sounds good let's take a break now Um, so now let's talk about Moroccan food. So when I think, yeah. when I think about Moroccan food, I think like tagine, I think um, couscous, I think about, you know, the spices that we talked about. I think about aromatic spices. I can picture yeah, like, mounds yeah. and mounds of spices in big bowls in a colorful market. Like that's what I think when I think Moroccan food. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some of your earliest memories of Moroccan food? Like I know you grew up eating Moroccan food in Belgium, but do any specific memories stick out? For you. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I think one of my earliest memory is um, something we eat for uh, breakfast called bisara. Okay. Uh, and it's basically a split pea um, fava bean um, soup slash dip. So you cook them and then you... you you um, uh, process them as a processor until they become like a puree and you eat them with a lot of olive oil. So it sounds, it's like a hummus, but it's very, um, it's like more soupy if it makes sense. Okay. Like it's more runny. Um, so yeah, it's one of my earliest memories. We eat that with bread and, and lots of olive oil. 
And I remember when I was when I was very like very small, I didn't like it. I didn't like the color. Um, I could I would wake up and smell. Uh, yeah. Um, the the fire now I love it. Yeah, there was some. <laughs> like, yeah, just like I, it's the smell of food just brings back some really good memories. So then, if we let's talk about you know Moroccan food now. So, um, if we wanted to give people a crash course in Moroccan food, someone who's never seen or heard about Morocco, how would you describe it? And what are some of the main courses that you know define what Moroccan food is? Um, well, I think it's a very eclectic cuisine in the sense that it's very diverse because Morocco is a diverse country. You have mountains, you have desert, you have mm-hmm. the coast, you have different coasts, uh, the, Mediterranean, the Mediterranean coast and the Atlantic coast. So there's a lot, there's a lot of everything. So it's very eclectic, but it's also influenced by a lot of different countries. So we have, we had the Arabs, we had the French, we had the Ottomans, um, uh, the Moors. So it's a myriad of, of spices and, and different techniques. And I just feel like it's the best of everything put together. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, but I think, I, I, I think if you go to, you know, if, you, if you check a Moroccan food book, um, even a very traditional one, everyone will find a dish at least that they like because it covers really everything. Um, and uh, and yeah, as, as you mentioned, it's, it's very spicy, very spiced and aromatic. And then what? What? Um, so you said before that you know there's nothing strange. There's no strange um, ingredients mm-hmm. that you wouldn't find outside of maybe the spices. Yeah. So like, what are maybe the proteins that you you would typically have? Like, if you think of a family meal, like what are the different sort of components that would you'd have for a typical Moroccan family meal. Oh, typical Moroccan family meal would be uh, the tagine with um, uh, a mezze next to it. So tagine can be, I mean, traditionally, very traditionally, strictly speaking, tagine has a kind of meat or fish. Okay. Uh, but nowadays, obviously, you have so many different kinds yeah. of vegetarian and vegan tagines. It's very, very common, even in Morocco. Um, and it's, you know, basically, tagine is a spice. And uh, something that you cook, and the reason why you cook it for a long time is usually because we use kind of tough cuts of meat that require mm-hmm. a long time, and that's how you get all the spices into their aroma. Because you need the spices to cook if you want your tajin to taste nice. So you can just put a spice and then be like, okay, that's fine. No, you need time because the ingredient is really, really time when you make a tajin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's basically a stew yeah. <laughs> with um, um, with vegetables. Um, and um, and then the best way around it will be all the, the kind of salad can be hot or cold that we eat at the beginning of the meal. And we have things like a little that's made of aubergine, bakura uh, that's made with um, with mallow, you can make it with kale. A lot of, I mean, there's so many of them. It's endless. Every single vegetable that we cook. A lot of fava bean, um, um, it's like simple tomato and, cu- and cucumber salad. It's just um, very refreshing, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's important for us to have a tagine and vegetable and vegetables and the mezze, yeah. And then, would you typically also have a de- dessert? And what sort of desserts do you do you have, and what do you make? We have fruits. Traditionally, it's fruits. Oh, oh uh, and, and 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 in Moroccan homes uh, and. Um, 
In Moroccan dialect, when we say dessert, uh, we use the word um, uh, dessert, mm-hmm. you know, the same, the same word, and it means fruits, basically, what, what fruits are going to have oh, at the end of the meal. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's a new learning thing for me. Okay. And then I know that with the work that you do with Fuji, you know, your, um, so one of the aims or the, one of the goals that you have is to add a modern flair, right? To, to Moroccan Mm -hmm. cuisine. Um, and, and I'm sure if you follow the food world, you know, fusion is a big theme as, as a lot of ethnic food goes global, people are trying to put Mm -hmm. their own twist on it, whether they are, you know, making it a little bit more French, a little bit more Japanese, whatever you want to call it. So (laughs) how do you, what are your thoughts on that? And then how, what do you think about, you know, maintaining the authenticity of that, you know, the, 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 the local food, food, you know, while making it accessible to, to a wider audience, you know, or let's say even a Western audience, right? Because you want to, you know, you want yeah. to introduce them to the food, but you also at the same Definitely. time don't, don't want to lose the... Um, the authenticity exactly. and, and the source of yeah. what makes it special. You know, I, def- I, mean, I think it's a really good question and I think about it very often. Um, well, I think, first of all, if you want to make the food more global, um, whether it's Western or any you know, introduce the food to another part of the world that's not familiar with this food, um, one has to understand and, and, you know, just accept the fact that you have, you're going to have to tweak a few things, whether it's the ingredients that won't be accessible, that people won't be familiar with, or maybe the techniques, um, or sometimes flavors can be too strong or even too spicy or too hot. You kind of need to adapt it and, and, and change a little bit um, of, of what makes it very traditional, but I think there's a limit of how far you can go. And 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 you know when you've been eating a certain kind of food all your life, I think you can understand how far you can go and and the limits um, to to not break in order to make it um, global, but also keep the soul of, of the food and all the flavors because the flavors have to be there. Um, all the ingredients that make a special dish um, have to be there too. But I think. It's obviously a challenge because, um, you know, it's very easy to add a Moroccan ingredient to anything and then say, oh, it's Moroccan fusion. Um, but, um, but I always tell people when they ask me, I need a tagine with this, it's not very traditional. I always tell them, if you know it's not traditional, it's a good thing, but if it tastes good, it's not a problem. Who cares? Yeah. You know, as long as what you eat is, is nice and makes you happy, if it's a tagine with a spice that's not traditional... It's fine. It's not a problem. Right. It's just important to know that it's not traditional. Yeah. You know, obviously, if you, I don't know, if someone says, if I would make something that's, let's say, Chinese and then call it Moroccan, then it's not, it won't be right. Um, um, and I think it's important to know, to preserve uh, the knowledge um, of the food when you talk about it or when you share it. But changing it is absolutely fine. I think that that's a good a good way of you know thinking about it. Like you know, sharing, you know, saying you know what this is my twist to. I will go back to tagine. This is my twist on tagine. So it's so people are clear that it's a twist and that you know the main, the way it's traditionally done is X. But I'm adding you know this X twist to it to make it a little bit more interesting. Um, so that, that works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that that works. And so speaking of bringing, you know, food to, to different audiences, let's switch now and talk about your cookbook, Casablanca. 
Which again, yeah. I have seen beautiful, beautiful pictures. I don't know if you took your own pictures or if somebody did that for you. I'm adding, <laughs> I take all the pictures um, for my blog and my social media. I'm the one who takes pictures. But for the book, it was not me. It was um, um, it was a man called Matt Twersel. He's a professional food photographer, okay. and uh, he did a great job. Yeah. And, and I was definitely not competent enough to um, change the picture. <laughs> well, you, you should be. Like, I mean, just from your blog alone and, you know, your your, your profile on Instagram, you take amazing pictures. So, Thank you. you know, you should, you should you. be proud of the progress you've made in that realm. So let's start with why did you decide to do a cookbook? You know, you've, you've, you've done the training in school. You, you're doing all the supper clubs, you know, you're working with um, different brands and, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. recipe, recipe development or just co-working with them on cooking classes, etc. Why the decision to do a cookbook? Um, well, I mean, I had the blog, obviously, but, uh, and the blog, you know, allows me to connect uh, with so many people and, you know, so many people who try my recipes and makes me very, very happy and proud every time. Um but I just thought it would be interesting to have a different medium to connect with people because mm-hmm. not everyone likes um, online recipes. A lot of my friends would tell me um, recipes are great, but I just don't like <laughs> you know to check them online, although it's weird for a generation. Right. Um, and, uh, and also, I think having a physical medium that's not just floating somewhere mm-hmm. on the web also was important for me and... and and, uh, you know, if my blog disappears tomorrow, <laughs> it's like my work or social media disappears tomorrow. It's like it didn't exist. Right. Um, but if I have a book, I know, you know, it should be there for quite a while. So yeah, it just feels more real. And, and it's just mm. different. And another way to promote um, Moroccan food and, and the extension of what I want to do. But, yeah, I mean, there's not a big difference between the recipes in the book and my blog. Um, in terms of content, they're all, obviously they're all different, but I mean, um, some recipes are traditional, made more accessible, some recipes are very fusion. So, um, so um, yeah, it's very similar, but it's just a different medium. Yeah. So um, you talk about, you know, the content being uh, a little bit similar to, to what's in your blog. So if, if if someone's thinking about, or, you know, if someone was just curious about the process of publishing a cookbook, so you decide today, I want to do a cookbook. Like, what what are the what are the steps that you went through in terms of deciding what recipes go into the cookbook? How are you going to organize it? You know, are you going to publish it yourself or, you know, for finding a publisher and that sort of... Yeah. Well, so I, um, I had a book deal before. I had actually all the recipes written down. Oh, okay. um, so I, um, I, well, you know, there are different ways to make it happen, but I basically um, uh, got in touch with the publisher who said, why not? I'd like to see a proposal. Yeah. So, you, so, so when you want to have a publisher, you need to write a proposal for, for a cookbook or even for, um, for fiction. Yeah. Um, and uh, and the proposal is supposed to to be like a smaller version of the book and okay. talk about what makes it so special mm-hmm. and things like that. Talk about your background, why you want to do it, etc. And then um, so I worked on that with my with my agent, and when we felt confident about with the proposal, then we submitted to different publishers, and um, and then I had a book deal. 
And then that's when they kind of agree on a certain amount of recipes. So I think uh, we agreed on about, I think about like a hundred or slightly less. Mm. And um, and yeah, and then once you know you know, I had a hundred recipes, that's when I had to start working because <laughs> I had a, I had some recipes for for um, the proposal. Right. And obviously, I didn't want to use I didn't want to use <laughs> yeah. recipes for my blog. Right. Because it wouldn't be interesting to yeah. use the recipes on my blog, so I had to come up with new things. And um, so that's what I did. So I spent a lot of time brainstorming ideas and recipes. And then when I thought that I had a solid um, list of things I want to do, knowing that when I will try them, I might not like them. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's when I'm for almost a year. Wow, because I'm thinking about a hundred recipes. So meaning that even for shooting, I don't know, and I don't know if you have a picture. So I know there's a lot of pictures in our flip, but I don't know if there's a picture for every recipe. So did you have to create and shoot like each of the hundred recipes? You mean for the book? Yeah, for the book. Um. So well, there's a whole team that 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 does that. So I didn't do everything by myself. Okay. So there's someone who cooks the recipes, someone who styles the recipes, oh, nice. and then the <laughs> And that's how you can get a lot done. Yeah. In yeah. Yeah. Okay, if my that's... book was shot, I would say in seven days. Oh my god. But it's very intense work. I mean, yeah, a lot of recipes. Yeah, that sounds, <laughs> a lot of yeah, things to cook and to shoot. Crazy. Interesting. And so if you had to pick, and I know it's going to be difficult, what's your favorite recipe from the book? Well, it's going to be hard, but I'm going to say the one that I'm craving at the moment <laughs> okay. that I haven't done in a while. I'm craving the Merguez uh, burger. Okay. So it's, you know, Merguez is a kind of sausage, um, and it's basically the meat that's inside the sausage that I make into a burger. Okay. And I like to make the meat from scratch. Um, so it's lots of, it's basically a mix. Uh, I use a mix of lamb, of minced lamb and minced uh, beef. Ooh. Lots of spices. Um, it's just amazing. So <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, that sounds really good. Um, okay. Uh, I think we can now transition to rapid fire. But before we do that, you know, can you let people know where they can find you online, if they want to buy the cookbook, where you're on social media, social media handles, etc.? Sure. Um, well, so my blog is called mymoroccanfood.com, and then all my social media handles are mymoroccanfood, so it's pretty easy. Yeah. And my book um, was uh, published by um, Firefly, and it's available pretty much everywhere where books are sold, and um, yes, and it, it, it came out in the U.S. and Canada in September. Okay, and the book is called Casablanca, right? So people know it. And it's called <laughs> Casablanca, my mark. Yes, I forgot to say that. Casablanca. Bye, yeah. Casablanca. <laughs> I think it's called Casablanca. Okay, great. So now we're going to transition to the rapid fast segment of the interview where I'll just ask you, you know, um, a quick question, and you just tell me which one is your favorite or not, or the first sort of answer that comes top of mind to you. They're not difficult questions at all, I don't think. Okay. Okay, so here we go. Um, coffee or tea? Tea. Uh, Dine-in or take-out? Dine-in. Are you a morning person or a night person? Uh, none of them. <laughs> That's interesting. Okay. Um, do you prefer <laughs> do you prefer Instagram or Twitter? 
Uh, I keep going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and then sweet or salty? Ooh. Mm. Salty. <laughs> I know that's hard. Um, it's hard. <laughs> And then who's your dream African chef, I would say, to cook with? If you had to pick an African chef that you would like to cook with one day or work with? Uh, well, there's a, a chef called Murad Lahlou, uh, and he's um, a Moroccan chef mm-hmm. uh, from Marrakesh, and he opened a restaurant, um, actually several restaurants in the U.S., in San Francisco, and 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 his restaurant um, makes wonderful Moroccan food and I would love to cook with him. Oh, cool. <laughs> Is he only based in San Francisco yeah. in the US or? Only in San Francisco. Oh, okay. Well, I've never to... been, but um, I would love to go. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. And um, last question. It's a sentence that I want you to complete. Um, this year, I'm going to try and eat more what? Food. Oh, Okay. Yeah. More dessert. You mean. I, I, I tend I tend to, to put them in my smoothies, but I never really eat them anymore. Yeah, I know. I'm the same actually. I I eat fruits so, and vegetables. Um, I just like you know blend it away. <laughs> yeah, it's just easier. And, and yeah. I feel guilty, but I think it's important to to like you know grab a fruit, right. like an apple and and just yeah and, and get a bite of the apple fiber, and chili. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah okay well this has been great thank you for your time it's been a pleasure chatting with you i think we've all learned a little bit more about Moroccan cuisine and your book casablanca let's say casablanca casablanca it's it's out yeah it's available thank you very much Hey guys, thanks for listening to Item 13, an Essence 13 production. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. To keep up to date on news and events from Essence 13, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Essence and the number 13. Thank you.